0: Well, it's a joy and a privilege to uh, present this message today as we enter a new series. And before we do, I want to give uh, thanks. I want to give thanks to a couple of people who inspired this message that I'll be giving today. The first is our daughter, Joy. Some of you know Joy. She's uh, just turned 28 in August. She presently is down at Fort Lauderdale. Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale as a part of their internship with Patmos Reality Discipleship. As you may or may not know uh, I interviewed her at Fresh Start in one of our Tuesday night meetings back in July. I knew I wanted to do that and needed to do that before she went off to her most recent internship with uh, Patmos Reality Discipleship. It was a great time and what she shared that night really inspired me as to the title of this message today. As I interviewed her that night, she shared that she had run as far as she could from the Lord at an earlier time in her life. And about four years ago, some young married uh, women from Calvary Chapel, uh, Calvary Chapel, West Omaha, pursued her. She loves to work out, and this happened to be a boot camp, kind of a workout thing. And they pursued her, and they started inviting her to their Tuesday night meeting with Calvary Chapel, West Omaha. So she stepped into the flow and became a part of that. It was for girls, young girls, her age. And then eventually they invited her to a mixed group, still same age group, uh, on Thursday nights. So, Tuesday and Thursday. And then, finally, uh, the senior pastor's wife, Denise doxson started reaching out to her and discipled her on Monday mornings. So, so far, we've got Monday morning early, Tuesday night with some other girls her age, and a mixed group of boys and girls on Thursday night, still in the 20 to 30 age group. And then Denise said, well, why don't you start coming on Sunday morning, and not necessarily to the service, but to serve in some way. We need, I think you'd be great with children, so how about serving and helping the children? So she said yes. So here she is, Monday morning, being discipled by Denise, Tuesday nights with girls her age, Thursday night with a mixed group of boys and girls, and serving in the children's ministry on Sunday morning. And she still hadn't gone to a Sunday morning worship gathering, but eventually she did. And then to add to that, she heard about this 4.30 in the morning prayer meeting uh, down at the Bridge Church before Myron Pierce moved to Colorado Springs and planted a church there, Passion City Church in Colorado Springs. Myron was leading the charge on every day, basically, 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 4.30 in the morning. You've got to want to be there. So she went to some of those. And then while there, one morning, she had a shoulder problem. She was scheduled for surgery, kind of a rotator cuff kind of a thing. And she almost casually called out to the Lord and said, Lord, would you heal my shoulder? And he did. So here it is, Sunday mornings, serving with children. Monday mornings, early being discipled. Tuesday nights, with a group of girls. Thursday night, a group of boys and girls, and she testified, she shared that Tuesday night in July, that she still wasn't, she still had one foot in the world. As she finished her sharing that night, she also shared that it wasn't until she enrolled for the Patmos Reality Discipleship, about a year ago, which was a four-month intensive radical discipleship, it, was only, it wasn't until the latter part of that season that she finally submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Or she was all in. After she got done sharing that night, one of the men came up to me that Tuesday night at Fresh Start back in July. One of the men came up to me and said, "I I was just so touched by what Joy shared tonight and I realized I've had one foot in the world too. But I want to declare to you right now, right here, that I'm all in. And he has sent me messages periodically since then. (laughs) And he says, I just want to give you an update. I'm still all in. I also want to thank Barb Shaw, who is in our midst this morning. If you know Barb, she's a wonderful daughter of the king, a prayer warrior, and more. And recently she shared with Mindy and me and others Jonah 2, verses 8 and 9. Where it says, those who pay regard to false, useless, and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. Are you all in? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak to every heart here this morning in a profound and deep and personal way. That this will be more than truth read or recited, but it'll be the living word of God penetrating our hearts and impacting our hearts with revelation and transformation, even here, right here, right now. Today, Even as you spoke to that man's heart on that Tuesday night back in July, and he realized, he realized, in effect, that he had worthless idols in his life. But he was willing to give those up and be all in. Lord, breathe your breath of life into this message today. Make it all that you want it to be and speak to our hearts in every way you want every way you desire. You're a good God, there is no other. Thank you for your loving kindness and mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've chosen the book of Jonah this morning as a text and a springboard and a context and more in terms of what we really are talking about today. What does it mean to be all in? Yes, the Lordship of Christ. Yes, full surrender. Yes, full submission. But I believe these are fresh and new words that uh, God wants to speak to our hearts uh, about in a a meaningful way. Are you all in? Let's take a look at the theme of each chapter, first of all, kind of giving an overview. We see in chapter 1 of Jonah that Jonah flees. In chapter 2, we see Jonah prays. In chapter 3, we see Jonah obeys. In chapter 4, we see Jonah complains. I think we are going to be able to identify with Jonah today. The new man is still a human. He was a prophet But I found it interesting, some of the things he said and some of the uh, process that he went through. But let's take a fresh look at this. Chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2. But Jonah... Arose, he rose up to flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Phoenicians trading places then known. Jonah 1 3. Isn't it interesting that it isn't until the fourth chapter. that we find out really why he fled. You know, initially we might think, well, he fled because, you know, it's kind of a scary thing to be called and, you know, this kind of a big deal. You know, we may not have known why he did really flee, why he really didn't want to go. Was it rebellion? Was it just, what was going on? But we see that clearly... The reason why he didn't go. The reason why he didn't obey the Lord at that time. The reason why he fled at that time. And we see it in chapter 4. After the Lord had shown mercy on Nineveh. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord. And he said, I pray you, O Lord. Is this just what I said when I was still in my country. That is why I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And when sinners turn to you, when sinners turn to you and meet your conditions, you revoke the sentence of evil against them. So we see so far the cast of characters include Jonah. God and others will be a part of the mix too. So God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, he fled. Why did he flee? Because he knew what God was going to do. He knew that if God showed mercy, you know, he could go there and preach the word and they would, they would repent and that would, I knew you would be so loving and kind and merciful, so I'm not going to go. But isn't it interesting this was a prophet. He was a different kind of prophet, but none a pro- he was a prophet nonetheless. And maybe we'll get into that more later in terms of how he was different. But Jonah nine says when they... You, you know what happened when he fled. Uh, God brought a storm, and he was on the boat and on the ship, and they were trying to find out what's going on here. They drew lots, and the lot came to Jonah, of course... And uh, who are you? Where are you from? And here's what he said when they asked him who he was and where he was from. He said to them in Jonah nine. he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I reverently fear and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Talk about a life of duplicity. Posing as one thing, a prophet, and living another. He wasn't living his message, for sure. He wasn't living true to the Lord. He wasn't really fearing the Lord. He said he was, but what was he? What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to reverently fear the Lord, take him very seriously. Take him very seriously. Not take ourselves too seriously. Not take others too seriously. Not let anyone have more—not ha- not let anyone have more influence, power, or effect on what we do or not do than him. And isn't it interesting that that's what Joy said, our daughter Joy, at the conclusion of her message back in July? I asked her, "What do you want to see God do as you go back to Patmos reality discipleship?" for this next term, and she said, I want to live to an audience of one, and I want him, Jesus, to be the reason. I want him to have more say-so power and influence on my worth and value than what anyone else thinks. And that was just exactly what God wanted to do in her. And that's exactly what she saw she needed. And that's exactly what God is doing in her now. But that is not where Jonah was. To fear the Lord in word only, but not in reality. But you know, God has a way of getting our attention. So they threw him overboard. And the whale... Or the fish, if you if you prefer, swallowed him. Appointed by the Lord, of course. And then we see his prayer in Jonah two nine and ten. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. In the fish, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it. And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now, things are looking up. I mean, it it is looking better. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to him. Uh, He disobeyed the Lord. He ran to Tarshish. He he said, why? He he said, I knew this would happen, probably. You know, I'm going to go there and preach, and everybody's going to repent, and then you're going to be merciful. So that's why I I didn't want to go anyway. So we see now God's got him since he wasn't all in with the lord now he's all in with the fish and god's got him where he wants him but how real is it how authentic is it how lasting is it let's let's take a look at this to see was this a real repentance or was this really a change of heart i mean i'm hearing words that are encouraging me this is this is good You know, the circumstances are desperate and, you know, he got thrown overboard to die and now the fish got him and now at least he's safe and now he's crying out to the Lord and he's going vertical, he's submitting, he's giving thanks, a sacrificial thank offering. Things are looking up. The Lord commands the fish to spit him out so now he's on dry land. And then chapter 3, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, arise and go to Nineveh that great city, and preach and cry out to it the preaching I tell you. And Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Things are looking up. Looks like there's a heart change in the whale. He gets spit out, gets an opportunity, a second opportunity. He doesn't flee again. He obeys Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. It's interesting. Apparently, Nineveh was three days' journey wide. So, how far did Jonah need to go before people started repenting? So, Jonah arose, he began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. How did they respond? So the people of Nineveh believed in God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth and penitent mourning, and the greatest of them, even to the least of them. From the greatest of them, even to the least of them. And then, how did God respond? (laughs) just how Jonah thought he probably would. So this is going to be a test for Jonah. And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God revoked his sentence of evil that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it, for he was comforted and eased concerning them. He changed his mind concerning them. Interesting. So let's push the pause button for a moment and talk about some personal application. Is there anyone in your life that's hurt or offended you, betrayed you, done something to you that, let's say, God would not approve of? So it's not just your opinion. God would say it was wrong. How would you feel about them repenting? How would you feel about them humbling themselves and, and uh, asking God to forgive them? And how would you feel if God showed them mercy? I know some of us, this is real life stuff, so I'm going I'm to mention this because it is real life stuff. Regardless of your political persuasion, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, as a registered voter, that just set that aside. Some maybe, some maybe don't struggle with our president of, of the United States. Maybe some do. Maybe some of you voted for him. Maybe some of you did not. But if how he's leading, just as an example, bothers you, offends you, how would you feel if God got a hold of his life in a very clear and profound way and God showed his mercy? How would you feel about that? Would you want that? How would you feel about those that maybe have made choices of uh, immoral choices? You know, we live in a day and age where uh, abortion is an issue, uh, same-sex marriage is an issue, homosexuality is an issue in various ways, in various facets, and there's other issues too, I realize. There's people that are more and more people, observably, observable phenomenon, I know, because I do a lot of premarital preparation. Across the board, not necessarily in this body of believers, but across the board, as you imagine, being a pastor for over 31 years, I have opportunity to meet with people that are a part of this church, part of another church, part of no church. And uh, they sometimes are living together. How would you feel if God showed them mercy? How would you feel? Would you rejoice? Somebody that's really hurt you. Somebody that's really offended you. How would you feel if God showed them mercy and they didn't face the justice or the consequences that you have thought you would, at least you're tempted that you would like them to? How many of you can identify with Jonah? Jonah. He ran initially because he knew what God would do, and God did it. <laughs> now, the research that I have shown uh, that I've that I've uh, that I've had the research that I've done, excuse me, uh, is that shows that Nineveh was spared at this period of time, but 150 years later, God did judge Nineveh. So apparently, it didn't last. So, what I'm after this morning, and I hope you're hearing my heart, I'm, 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 looking, I'm addressing more than words, more than lip service, more than external obedience, but a true heart change that lasts, that lasts, and lasts, and grows, and grows. So, how many of us can identify with Jonah? You don't need to raise your hands. How many of you can identify with God calling you to do something? You knew it was God. You knew he wanted you to do it. And for whatever reason, you didn't do it. How many of you can identify with that? How many of you can identify with Jonah's anger? When God showed mercy. You know, we're really seeing a clear picture of grace and truth here in this, in this book of Jonah because God was totally prepared to judge Nineveh. I mean, they were wrong. They were evil. He was going to judge them. He was going to wipe them out. But he showed mercy. Whoa. Grace. Something we don't deserve. Amazing. But if the research that I have done is accurate, he did judge them 150 years later. So he is God. He is holy. He is true. He's not soft. He is not permissive. He is grace and truth, truth and grace. Take him very seriously. We need to take him very seriously. Referring to chapter 4, Jonah 4.10 and 11. Then, said the Lord, you have had pity on the gourd. The gourd, of course, refers to Jonah leaving the city, and he's got a good view of the city, and apparently he's thinking that God may still judge them, so he's going to set up his little place and, and watch and uh, the Lord provides some kind of a shelter, a covering, uh, a gourd, a leaf, or something that provides some shelter from the sun. And this gives Jonah great pleasure, <laughs> natural things, temporary things. But then, of course, God also sent a worm to kill it, and then it goes away, and now he, the sun is beating down on him, and he's not happy about that. So the Lord says... And this is where the book of Jonah ends. (laughs) Then said the Lord, you have had pity on the gourd for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons not yet old enough to know their right hand from their left, and also many cattle not accountable for sin. So you're Jonah, you're, you're all upset about this gourd that came and went, and you don't seem to be upset about <laughs> these people. The people that are accountable, of course, that have repented and I've spared them, but that doesn't even mention the ones that don't know their right hand from their left. Uh, apparently, haven't reached the age of accountability. Not to mention animals too. And you don't seem to be as concerned about them as you are this gourd that dr- uh, dried up and went away. Where's your heart? And then it ends, and we don't and we don't see. <laughs> we don't see what Jonah says or does we could say, well, he probably repented or we probably wouldn't have the book of Jonah, right? Because he wants to make this point. He wants us to get this point today. But we dare not assume that. So here is my first question to you. Was Jonah all in? Was he all in from what we could see and read? Well, he certainly wasn't all in when he fled. We hope that he's all in when he's giving a sacrificial thank offering from his heart. We hope he's all in when he obeys the Lord to go to Nineveh when he gets a second opportunity. But then our hope that he is all in is kind of shattered by his response when they repent. It's like, whoa, was this just external? <laughs> was, just, was this just lip service? Was this just going through the motions? Was this just plain church? Modern day perspective, are we just going through the motions? Are we just talking the talk? Or what's in our hearts? Do we love people? Are we pursuing people? Are we caring about people? Do we really want people to know Jesus? Do we really want them to turn from their ways and submit fully to him? Are we submitted fully to him? Was Jonah all in? I'll leave that between you and the Lord. Are you all in? Are you all in? Now, what does it mean to be all in? Does that mean you've got to be perfect? Nobody's perfect except Jesus. But where's our heart? Oh, yeah, there's a process. and, And maybe we can identify with some of the process that we've read about here. It's like, yeah, we claim to be a believer. We say we're all in. But then when the opportunities come and this is what we know God wants us to do, sometimes we don't do it. Does that mean we don't love Jesus? Does that mean we haven't submitted to him? Well, maybe, we, maybe it means that we haven't. <laughs> maybe we need to take a look at that. What's in our hearts? It doesn't mean that there's not a struggle at times. It doesn't mean there's not a process at times. But are we participating? Are we being honest with God? Are we being honest with ourselves? Are we all in? It doesn't mean there won't be a struggle, because the new man is still a human, and with being a human, there'll be temptation, there'll be struggle, there'll be things that God will be doing in our hearts. He that began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, so there's going to be a process. But are we participating in that process? Are we going passive, or are we still participating? We don't want to feel some of the things we feel. We don't want to have some of the attitudes we have. We want our, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts to be pleasing to the Lord all of the time. We want to be all in. We want to be fully submitted all of the time. Is your submission to the Lord selective? I'm reminded of another story. King Saul. You probably remember the story how the word of the Lord came through Samuel, and the word was, "Kill the Amalekites, wipe them out, man, woman, child, king, cattle, everyone, every no living thing, no murmuring, no no bleeding of sheep, no mooing of cow, no king, no nothing, wipe them out." That was the word of the Lord for the Amalekites, for the king Saul to wipe them out, to annihilate them, and we know the story. Or he didn't do that. He spared the king, some of the choice cattle, and other things for sacrifice. And then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. In other words, are we being selective with our obedience are we saying lord i know i'm not doing this over here but look what i'm doing i'm doing this i'm going i'm visiting people in the hospital i'm praying for people i'm doing this this i know i don't want to do this for whatever reason but i'm doing this is our obedience our submission selective according to our discretion and preference or is it unconditional sacrificial and not always easy many times hard but we are all in fully submitted all the time or is your submission to the lord total romans 12:1 says i appeal i appeal to you therefore brethren and beg of you in view of all the mercies of god i'm so glad he's merciful to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties, spirit, soul, and body, your whole being, as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well pleasing to the Lord, to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and in spiritual worship. A question in closing Are you willing? to forsake your worthless idols and repent of your pride. A worthless idol is going to be anything or anyone that you're giving place to or preference to or looking to satisfy you or fill a gap or do something for you in some way other than Jesus Christ and who he wants to be to you. It could be a person, it could be a place, it could be a thing, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, but it is not... Him. And that's what makes it an idol. And pride comes in in many forms and flavors. Sometimes thinking we're better than somebody, somebody, thinking too highly of ourselves. Sometimes we don't think much of ourselves. We're not agreeing with God about ourselves. What does Romans 12 say? Don't think too highly of yourself. Have a sober judgment of yourself. Romans twelve three. Have a sober judgment. In other words, agree with God about who you are. Don't think too high, don't think too low. Agree with God, whatever that may be. If if there's a need to repent, we agree with God. If there's a need to surrender fully in a way that we haven't, we agree with God. If we realize I've had one foot in the world still, I'm involved in a lot of stuff, I do a lot of Christian stuff, but I've still got one foot in the world. I'm not all in. That's wrong. That's idolatry because I'm giving those things a place that only you deserve, Lord. And I don't want to be guilty of the pride of life running my life on my terms. I want it to be on your terms. Chapter 4 of Jonah finishes, concludes abruptly. Boom. (laughs) The curtain falls. That's it. And I'm inspired to do something similar this morning. So are you ready? If you are willing... To forsake your worthless idols and repent of your pride, you can be all in.